cafes tend to be, even though they're really busy, they're social places. You don't get many angry people in cafes. You go in there for coffee, you chat to the person on the till. So many skills, so many tasks to do, so many opportunities for interactions. Purposely Podcast, amplifying the stories of people who are making a positive difference to society and the environment. People inspired by purpose. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to Purposely with Sarah Dan Hoare, founder and CEO of Project Employ. They're a charity helping people with disabilities to become work-ready and find and secure employment. The fact is, people with disabilities are more than twice as likely to be unemployed compared to those without a disability. It's a really special episode for me as I recently became a trustee of the charity. I've been badgering Sarah to come on purposely for some time. She's finally relented, which is wonderful. And it feels like a really good time, despite the fact that charity is only three years old. Sarah and her team are making positive difference to young people's lives already. And they recently entered into a really exciting partnership with Air New Zealand. Sarah is an unlikely charity CEO and startup leader. She has experience and special needs as a teacher, but starting her own charity was not the path she predicted for herself. What she lacks in experience, though, she is most definitely makes up for in passion. And a walk down a beach and a listen to a former or past episode of Purposely with a woman called Bianca Tavella, who set up a disability cafe in the UK called Fair Shot Cafe inspired Sarah to turn her idea into action and make it happen. You're going to really enjoy this conversation. She's very raw in her delivery and very honest about stuff that she's been through. Before we dive into the show, though, can I just ask whatever platform you're on, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, another, please hit follow. Enjoy. This episode of Purposely was brought to you by Benevity, the all-in-one software solution that benefits employees, customers, nonprofits, and society. Let's get back to the show. Sarah Dan Hoare, a really warm welcome to the Purposely Podcast. Thank you, Mark. You're the founder of a charity called Project Employ. What's its mission? What's its purpose? So Project Employ is a charity that supports neurodiverse young adults, 18 to 28, to become work ready. And then we support them to find their preferred role in the community. And small startup charity that's you know, it's a really hard thing to do actually to start a charity. You've got to convince funders to come on the journey with you. But you could say you're a startup business slash charity. That'd be a good way of describing it. Yes. Yeah. And it was really hard. It took me from when I first discovered training cafes to when we opened about nine years. Um, not all because of funding, but also trying to convince people that it was actually needed in New Zealand. That was a huge barrier. But yeah, we're small. We're, we're now employing, include myself, we employ 11 staff. And you've got a board of trustees who are really supportive and um, they help guide the organization as well in these early years. Yeah, I've got an amazing board, really supportive chair. And yeah, everyone on the board is there for a reason and they bring unique skills and are all incredibly passionate about what we're doing. And we're all on the same page. The end goal is for the young person to be out there in the community financially independent. So young, young people with disabilities, really challenging, right, for the child, the family, yeah. the siblings. You know, they talk about really challenging being a sibling of someone with a disability, but also enriching. Like there's a whole positive side often to those challenges in life. But, you know, talking to or my experience is that through those early years, it's it, you know, families talk about being able to cope because it's very defined. The response, the support is very is more clear and more obvious. Still challenging, but you know, there's more clarity around the support. But actually, the the concern for a lot of families, a lot of parents with young people or children that are disabled, is around what does the future look, look like when they are independent? And is they, there a future? Is there a future? Yeah. And how do they fund that future? Right. Yeah. So that's huge. And this is what it's all about. What your mission is all about. Yeah. So my background was I was a special ed teacher and I was teaching the transition age, so 17 to 21. And that's when I really got to know what it was like for the parents as much as I can, just doing it sort of teaching hours. But they told me their stories of what it was like. And as the students got closer to 21, the students didn't necessarily see any difference, but we saw the difference in the parents. They got 
more and more panicky of what happens next. The school tends to, I worked in a special school, the school tends to do a wraparound thing. They protect the students, they protect the families. There's therapists on site, all funded. It's, pop, you know, it's what we offered. And then all of a sudden there's pretty much nothing. Parents find that they may have to take time off work or give up their jobs to be there to support their, or supervise their, their grown-up children. There's no funding. For me, Particularly, my interest was what happens next with those that actually want to go to work. And there were so many barriers that the parents were saying, no, we're not even going to consider that. Let's look at day programs. In terms of that, the seed for well, the idea behind this organization, I know you'd drawn on other examples of training organizations or training cafes. You'd had that experience as a teacher. Yeah. So as a teacher, part of my role, because I showed an interest, was to help the students become work ready. So that involved me doing some research as to, you know, what does that look like? What can I do as a teacher? What activities can I provide? Part of that was let's get them out in the community. We can practice, we can do the work skills in class, the social skills, you turn up on time, personal appearance, we could do all of that. But when it came to going to that community to firstly interact with the community, but also to up the anxiety levels of what it's like to be out in the community going to work, we approached so many companies on the shore who we we knew a lot of the companies. Um, they knew who we were and they wouldn't even have the students there for work experience with a teacher aid for the reasons of it would get in the way of our business, it get in the way of our staff, health and safety. And it made me realize that that's with my support, we're getting turned down. They don't stand a chance when they leave. And that's sort of how I then started looking at what does happen next. This is that you're working in an employed in a role yep. for an organization. Yeah, I was teaching and my job was to prepare them for work, but actually there was no work after. So I then started looking overseas, came across Bitty and Bows, which is a charity of training cafes. And they've got so many, been running for years, got so many, they franchise them out now and really successful. I haven't met them, but, you know, saw what they did. So what year was this when you came across them? Let me think, 2012-ish would have been, something like that. And then I also went overseas and found out, because I'm coming from England, went back home. And as the years went on, I found more over there. There's some in Brighton where I'm from. Team Domenica have been incredibly helpful, sort of seeing them, speaking to them on the phone online. When I went back um, a few years ago, I spent time there. And they're really, a training really cafe helpful. as well. They're a charity that has a training cafe. That I think they've got three or four now. There's another training cafe or another charity that does the same in Oxford. So I spent time with them. People are really helpful and have been really supportive of helping me get this up and running during those nine years. But this, I'm going to just imagine this is a side, this part of it is a side hustle, right? So you're at nighttime the weekends, Googling. I'm still teaching. This, still teaching this and is you're a little, starting to have little this. little seed that's yeah. planted or something burning away. Yes. I didn't know at this point that I wouldn't be teaching. I just thought this is something we could look into. A teaching colleague and I actually approached the school and said, there was a building next door that came up for rent. Could we turn that into a training cafe? And obviously with school's budgets, it was a no. So it still hadn't occurred to me that I would ever be running one because i I'm not the most confident person, so it just didn't occur to me. So one of the other things I did to help my students pair was I applied for an AMP Dare to Dream scholarship back in 2017. And I got it, bizarrely, because I really didn't expect to get it. It was to make some films about successful stories of young adults with intellectual disabilities that had got work. So I got the scholarship, which was amazing. And then Angela Bloomfield, actor, director. On New Zealand's realtor. only, uh, you know, produced regular sitcom, I guess. No, it's not. It's more of a drama com. Drama, sitcom. not yeah. short. Yeah. Short and straight. Yeah. yeah. So I had got to know Angela through school. I'd, I'd contacted her to come and MC something for us and to, t- uh, to talk to my students about being an actor. We started to get business owners in and other people, lots of different roles to start to get them thinking about what jobs they could do, even if it wasn't completely realistic. It's just to teach them what other people do at work rather than just their parents. 
So I got the scholarship. Angela introduced me to a cameraman. They donated their time. So for the next 18 months, whilst teaching still, we made these web series of 10 short films, which I then shared with schools if they wanted it, and I used as a teaching resource. So we then carried on this ongoing get ready for work thing. Because that, that seeing is believing, right? Yes. So for, especially for the parents, I imagine that was quite inspirational. Did you get it in the hands of the parents? Yes. Yep. Shared it with everyone. And it was, it showed that it's doable. You know, they said my child could do that, hadn't realized. And, you know, this was jobs like a cattery, cafe, retirement village, gardening, whole range of roles, childcare center. So it just showed they could do it if they were in the right company. And you're underst- you're developing this knowledge bank of of kind of understanding about what those young people need to have that supportive or soft landing into the workplace, supported the learning, supported employment. Yeah. That when there's a barrier, because there'll be loads of barriers and there'll be there'll loads of resistance and stuff won't go right all of the time. But you were starting to build up a real understanding and knowledge of how you could overcome yes, those issues. that's it. And we were speaking to um, some of the films have got employers. So we spoke to the, the young people and the parents and the employers to see all angles of it. So that was really, really good. And um, they're still online if you want to see them under Project Employ. So jumping forwards, I got to the point where I just couldn't sort of ignore this thing any longer. I really, really wanted to do it. And I went to the UK at one point went into the one in Brighton and I came out and it was like, if they'd offered me a job, I wouldn't have got back on the plane. It was like, I really need to do this now. So I came back, handed in my notice at school and went to work for a disability charity, but they could only offer me a couple of days, but it meant that I didn't have the responsibility and the stress of teaching. I could actually focus on what I was doing. So whilst I was doing that, I was also doing some tutoring and I suppose part of this story for me, something I've learned is the importance of networking. You never know who you're going to meet and things come back. And that's sort of for later on in the story. I met an amazing guy called Ed Collette um, when I was tutoring. So I went to work for the charity and they, we were hoping that they could run the training cafe under them. And so you'd shared your vision. Like I'd you were shared like, my you're vision. Gonna, they call it an entrepreneur, don't they? So someone who's going to be, you know, and use the sort of soft foundations of the organization they're in to do something entrepreneurial yes. inside an organization. Yeah. I still didn't quite believe that I had the skills or confidence or network, I don't know, to actually do it myself. So to me, this was, and it was never about me wanting to do it anyway. In that way, it was about this needs to happen. The end goal, yes. How can I make that happen? I can join up with another charity or join up with a charity. Um, it didn't happen, as it turns out, but I did make lots of contacts and I carried on learning about not-for-profit and the young people that I wanted to help and how we could help them and employers. I carried on doing all that research, really. And you, so you would, any opportunity, you would share your vision with others? Yeah. And that, and that eventually someone was like, oh, do you know, I have a similar vision, like a... What really gave me the um, impetus, may not be the right word, impetus, kick up the bum that I needed was listening to one of your podcasts, because again, part of my research was listening, getting any information I could all the time, and I discovered your podcast. Fair Shot Cafe, wasn't it? Bianca's I was listening, I was on the beach one day, feeling a bit sorry for myself because nothing was happening, and I heard Bianca from Fair Shot in London talking about her journey. She was about to open her cafe, and I was, it was a mixture of really fed up because she'd beat me to it, and also actually, so what, you know, let's like... She's 12,000 miles away. She's, she's a long way away, it doesn't matter, yeah. But it was just what I needed, and it was like, why am I still waiting She's, I'm always, she's I'm, done it. I'm always intrigued know? that like the fire was lit. Like you oh, suddenly totally. was like, I have to do this. Yeah. I'd gone from little old me, I'd never been able to do it, to I'm doing this. She's done it, which is brilliant. And I'm still following on what she's doing and going back in Engl- to England in May. So I'm hoping to catch up with her. But it was listening to her. It was because she had just, she'd been trying to do it for a few years, but because she was still so enthusiastic, it reminded me what I used to sound like. And I think that's what it was. It had almost been, I'd almost been drained of all the enthusiasm because of all the barriers. So listening to her. Um, she did. She had like, like you, she had real barriers around um, attracting the funding. Um, people 
been confident that she was the right person to yep. to do what she did. I think that's also, it made me realize that people were confident in what I was saying. The fact that I got the dare to dream, the fact that Ange came on board and made my films, you know, turned my idea into films. The fact that the charity that I'd worked for for a while had thought it was a good idea, it started to sort of make me realize, actually, why can't I do this? So that was that was the start of that, really. So I left. You handed your notice in? I handed my notice in around. Hardest thing to do? It was really hard. I'd already done it through teaching. So I was really on a low wage anyway. And then I decided to give up that job as charity job as well. And then COVID hit. So it completely buggered up all my plans about leaving. So the charity very kindly let me stay on to do a little bit of work over COVID during lockdown. Then another thing happened that sort of made me think it's like a sign. I was looking through cafes online, what you know, to buy. And a cafe that I've had my eye on for a long, long time, years, was up for sale. So, and it happened, it's in the BDO building in Takapuna, which is a, a firm of accountants, aren't they? Mm. There's accountants, there's quite a few, it's like 11, 12 floors. But I used to go and visit one of the accountants, Andrew, who's now on our board. He'd heard my ideas all those years ago when I was still teaching. We used to meet monthly, do a sort of brainstorm. What do you need? Who do you need to meet? Who do you know? All those things. So I phoned him straight away and I said, the cafe underneath you is for sale. What do you think? And he said, let's go for it. So he was on board and then I started speaking to other people and they said, yeah, let's go for it. And all of a sudden, you know, from nine years, it happened, not quite overnight, but almost. Complete I think COVID played a part in some ways because those foyer-based coffee shops actually been hit quite hard, haven't they? Because yeah. suddenly people weren't going into the office. We were very lucky in a way. Sounds really bad. But the end result was good, you know, good come of it, that the lady couldn't survive and we did get it at discount. And it was hard on her, but she was also really pleased that it was going to a charity and it would make a difference. So it was a good result in that way. We just had to take a moment here because... I just want to dive into like what part does that up until that point? What what part had you know caffeine, coffee? Because like I think a lot of people have a dream of owning a cafe, but actually what they really want to do is just go to a cafe and yeah, eat cake and have lovely coffee. But had you had any sort of like you know hospo catering desires earlier in life? Like <laughs> no, like most people, I've worked as a waitress and things when I was sort of. 13, 14 in the UK and 16, you know, around school time. But it didn't interest me. The only thing I remember when I was young, because in England you get lovely tea gardens and you sit outside in the summer and you have cream teas with teapots. My dream was to have one of those. That's as close as I got. I would never would. It doesn't interest me at all, really. But it was clearly a cafe that had was part of your vision. Like I it, think it could it, have been another sort of form of training, I suppose. Is what it I'm saying. could have, I think, something that I learned when I was with my students was food is a real motivator for a lot of people. But so we'd go out to cafes around the shore and we'd practice our social skills. And I just think I realized that it's a, cafes tend to be, even though they're really busy, they're social places. You don't get many angry people in cafes. You go in there for coffee, you chat to the person on the till. So many skills, so many tasks to do, so many opportunities for interactions. And I think well, I suppose that's why they, there's so many of them over, all across the world. Cafes are the, the obvious choice, really, I think. But yeah. no, I, I didn't want to own a cafe. It doesn't overly interest me at all. But you hear you are running one, right? I'm, you're yeah. running a, you're I'm running, running two. a charity. <laughs> I'm now running two. I'm running a charity that runs cafes. I definitely don't run the cafe. We have experienced staff that do that because it's, yeah, it's not my thing. So you got this opportunity the person who's selling it to you is happy, which is great. Yeah. They've, had, they've been through a tough experience. You've got to come up with the money, though. It's discounted, yes. but how did you get those initial funds? You've got Andrew, which he's good with numbers, right? He's good with money. But, um, yes. you're, and you've got, a, you've got people supporting you on your journey. How did you get the, the funds? So the initial funds, um, going back again a few years, uh, you know, this is where this sort of, you never know who you're going to meet, where they're going to come back in your life. I was... Introduced to a family, husband and wife, who have got some, a child with a disability, who know about fundraising, that sort of thing. It was just a general chat, met for coffee several years ago now. And I thought that would be the end of it. I didn't know that he'd been following my journey. 
So he contacted me very early on and said, love what you're doing. What is it you need? And it was like, wow. So we left that cafe with enough to buy the cafe. We left, sorry, when we had coffee with him, we left having enough to buy our cafe. So at least on a, on a premise, effectively. To buy the business, buy the business from the yeah. lady. That is what he donated to us, which was just amazing and life-changing because he knew how hard it was for them when their child or their adult child was looking for work. I believe he's now working. You know, they've gone through that. So, yeah, that was, I think, the game changer for any of the, the funders that we'd applied to. We now had a cafe. But this is where it gets still quite challenging, right? So the biggest, the hardest thing I think about starting and, and, and then scaling or growing a charity and, and getting funders is that when you go to those funders, they, they look at you and they're like, but track record, how many people's lives have you impacted? You've impacted zero lives. No. You've now got a cafe. <laughs> no staff, no cafe. It goes into No like, trainees at that point. No trainees. Yes, yeah. It's, a, it's still an idea and a vision. Yep. So they're almost, you're, you're, hoping that they're going to see the vision and, and come on board with you. And clearly some did. Yeah, we were really lucky. Very early on, we'd spoken to Foundation North, IHC, Lotteries and Lindsay. They were sort of our first ones we'd spoken to. They were working separately. A large community trust. Yeah. There's a uh, the Lindsay Foundation, which is a private charitable foundation, yep. family foundation. IHC, which is an organization specifically focused on intellectually disabilities. Yeah. And they could see this massive gap in provision like they knew they were on they board with. got it but they were working separately and once this amazing family had come in with you know their generosity foundation north lotteries and Lindsay particularly spoke and said are we going to do this oh, that's what they told me i don't know what went on behind the scenes but that's what they said we're all sort of discussing it and it is almost like once because you need a runway right you need time to form yeah and then you need time to impact yes and they saw what I saw somehow, thank goodness. They believed in me, in us, and they could see there was a need. So all four of those were our sort of founding funders, I suppose, and continue to be incredibly supportive, not just money-wise, but they come into the cafe and they come to graduations and they're really like invested, um, which is amazing because we don't just want the money. You know, it's, it's much more than that. I think they feel part of this, which they should, because they've been there from day one. So they've had a big part to play in the successes we're seeing. And so you have a certain comfort level around the young people and you, you know how to educate and how to support yep. and how to guide. The cafe bit is super unknown for you. And this is where you really have to draw on the, the supporters, particularly the board, like the board it's a bit different. Like they have to be right alongside you because you you can't do this on your own. The board are they don't interfere, but they're hands on. If that makes sense, they're popping in to the training cafe. If I'm there, we're meeting up. They're getting to know the trainees. They're hands on. They're invested, I suppose, in that way. They really get what we're doing. They're so supportive, me and all the staff, and they get to know the trainees as individuals, as young people, and that just. In sort of motivates the board to do even more. You know, when you're starting a business, you can't burn through too much cash, right? So you need to stay quite agile and quite lean. You know, you've clearly, you said um, earlier that actually this is not, there's no part of you getting rich here. This is, you know, like this is a, like a vision you've had for a number of years and it's about delivering that mission. I didn't take a salary. I wasn't paid anything for six months. When I left the charity that I worked for, that was a decision that me and my family were on board and we made that call. We would not, I would not earn for six months. It was the only way that we could ever get this off the ground. So your husband's a big part of this. My whole family. So um, yeah, Jeremy, my husband has helped paint the cafe and he's covered bills for us as a family. Been there when it's all gone pear-shaped over the nine years. My daughter is designer. So she's our pro bono designer now. Uh, my son does anything else I need him to do. Complete family support. Again, this would not have got off the ground without that belief from them as well. There were times when you felt burdened by that or it felt overwhelming? No, not really only frustrated, but I think because I knew this was worth doing and I've seen it overseas, 
we would get there one day. I think I always believed that. Looking back, I probably didn't at some points, but I never stopped believing, if that makes sense. I didn't know whether I'd do it or whether someone beat me to it. I always knew it would happen. Yeah, I never stopped believing just because I, I knew the young people and I knew that it would work. Because you wear your, you're a person who wears your heart on sleeve. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. And you've had, you've had a sort of very rock-solid rock vision and, yeah. and mission, but at the same time, you, you happily share what you find difficult and struggle with. Yeah. And what has been the hardest, what was the hardest bit of that early piece? Early was finding, I suppose, the fact that I was suddenly a CEO, which still makes me laugh when my board asked for the CEO report. Does it feel, feel weird? It's like, what, me? You talking to me? It, yeah. It's that imposter syndrome. I've earned it now. I've been doing it for a couple of years, but it's still, I'm still me, just me, just Sarah, teacher, you know. Have you had to have a word with yourself sometimes? that you All could, the time, you yeah. Could, you know, there's a danger you could go back to just dealing with the weeds and, and dealing with the detail and getting the small stuff done. But you, you, you're the founder, you're the CEO, you've got a strategy, you've got to be future looking. Like, Yeah, and I, I have to step out my comfort zone several times a day and I'm hoping that'll get better, don't know, but or get easier. But I think I want this so much that I will do that. I think the biggest thing for me as CEO is I remember one day Andrew said, I think we needed some an application done or something to do with f- numbers, I don't know. And he said, I could do it for you, but you need to do this. You've got to learn, you've got to know this business inside out. So I now, I, you know, we have n- not many staff actually as an office type thing. We've got staff in the cafe because you need them. But admin side, I'm, I've just taken on the website because we had a volunteer that can't do it now. I do the wages. I do social media, I do all of that on top of anything else a CEO does. I have learned so many things that I didn't want to learn. So I think that side of it, the enormity of my role hasn't quite sunk in yet because there's always something else being added and it's, yeah. But I'm living the dream, living my dream. Amazing. And those first young people that you brought in to help, I imagine that was sort of pinch yourself moment as well, eh? When you saw the difference you were making to their lives in a short space of time. We have two intakes a year. They're with us for six months. The first intake, we only had four trainees and we sort of handpicked them because, or we knew maybe three of them out of the four because we were going to be learning along with them. We needed to get the ones that could teach us as well. One of those was in one of my films um, because she's, Ariel was in the cattery, which was a great job, but there was no interaction with humans particularly, apart from at morning tea. And she heard about what I was doing. She said, please let me, I'd love to work in a cafe. So we sort of knew, knew those. One of them we didn't. So to see them grow, to see them, how they helped us create the training program in the sense that they showed us what they needed. So any ideas we had of what we were going to do, some of them were thrown out the window because what we thought they needed, they didn't. So that was really interesting times. And really short amount of time before, Sarah, you got a call from an interested party, because in a really short space of time, you've not got one cafe, Sarah, but you, you now have two cafes. This CEO now has was, two cafes. Was yeah. there a moment, was there this out of the blue moment where someone suddenly called you and said? So, um, yeah, we opened, we finally opened in... July, August 2022 with the four. And then they graduated in December. We then had another group. But around that time, I got a phone call from Ed Collette, who was the father of the boy that I tutored. He works at Air New Zealand. And someone from the company had been to a conference and listened to a talk by Anna Marie from Stuff, who happens, I've known her through my films again. It's all those connections. She's a huge supporter of ours, an ambassador, advisor of Project Stuff Employee. And kind of digital newspaper. Yes. So, and Anna Marie um, has had a lot to do with helping people with disabilities find work and that sort of thing. So, really loves what we do. She is well respected for that. She was giving a talk. And her example for the best way to do it is have daily natural interactions. For example, 
a training cafe like Project Employ. So this Air New Zealand person ran back to Air New Zealand and said, we have to do this, we have to do this. And Ed said, well, I know the owner. I know who runs that charity. And it was that amazing like link yeah. that you just never know who you're going to meet. So he called corporates me. Are, you know, like corporates are really starting to think about their purpose beyond shareholder value and making profit and being successful businesses. They're really starting to look about how they impact their employees, how they impact the community. And there's sort of, we're talking about a big focus for in New Zealand would be to really do purpose well. Yes. But it needs that champ, those champions, like you had that yeah. internal champion. Yes. Ed and his team do so much for inclusion and diversity. So once we were sort of introduced. That whole team have been really pushing for this. So it's taken another coffee. So you're in a cafe having another yeah, coffee, but it's, it's this, taken. These coffee chats go quite well for you, don't they? They do. It's yeah. I don't drink coffee. Funnily enough, in the space you're in, like like who was there? What who was the operating at that point? In the space we're in in Air New Zealand, no one. They it's a purpose built Air New Zealand built us a cafe. It's their head office. Yeah, it's in their head office in Auckland CBD, huge building, nine hundred plus employers in that building. When you had that first conversation, did you, were you confident that it would happen? I probably pretended I was and then I went home and it's like, what? <laughs> it was, yeah, little old me, because it all goes back to little old me having no confidence, little old me and Air New Zealand was just ridiculous. So I may have been confident initially and then it was like, this, is, to this is just ridiculous, you know. But I knew Ed, I trusted Ed. He knew me, trusted me. And we just work together. Um, but it, it's taken probably just over a year or about a year. Because there's a lot of space for, to for get them, there. right? Huge amount. They're going to have yeah. a lot of confidence. There's a lot, you know, because big corporates don't do stuff that's averagely, you know, they yeah. do it properly. They've got a lot of people who will just need to get a coffee there and they'll have clients coming in. And so there's a huge, I imagine there was this huge dance between the two where they're going to get to know you get some confidence from you. They, yeah, apart from Ed, they didn't know us. So it was getting that trust that we were a reputable charity, that we were going to get results. Um, so they were doing due diligence on you. They were yeah. um, watching and... I think so. And I think, you know, we were having regular catch-ups and things, but Ed believed in this and he could see the purpose of it. And I think once he was on board with the idea, we were ne it was never not going to happen, but lots of to and froing about what building us a cafe, what is it we needed? Because it initially it was going to be just sort of a kiosk, but then you'd have a barista and one trainee, which is not life-changing. What we've ended up with is we've got a barista, we've got interns. So it's changed our model slightly. We can now offer paid internships to four graduates per year. So they go from us in our founding cafe over to there for six months, paid internships. Gone from just being the trainer yep. to the employer as well. Yeah. And then as we find our feet there, we can start sending some of our trainees over there, again, up in the anxiety levels and stepping out your comfort zone. So it's opened up so many more options for the young people and the interest from other businesses, corporates, about how do we get one of these in our business. It's just got people talking. And why wouldn't you? Our interns now are first name terms with Air New Zealand staff and they wouldn't have mixed before. It's just like in, in our other cafe, they're on first name terms and they're chatting about sport and holidays with accountants. They wouldn't have done that before. It's just, it's not only changing our trainees' lives, it's changing the lives of the community that they're interacting with as well. Because I think Big business, the but you know the top end of town where New Zealand sit, you know the New Zealand's preeminent airline, global. But they these a lot of these organisations were really closed shops to people with disabilities or yes. you know neurodiversity and you know like just the process. And I'm talking you know when I was growing up, like the the process around applying for jobs and the sort of hoops you had to go through. You know, like a closed shop, right? Yeah. This idea that they would go above and beyond and actually you know, embrace, be part of the confidence bill, being part of the breaking down the barriers. Yeah, like. they've created a, a space to break down those barriers for their employers and people coming in for business meetings and things, which will then 
be passed on to the community because... And change the narrative, right? Yeah, totally. I guess one of the challenges sitting here, though, is that you, you know, you, you'll have initial bounce so people connect with the story. There's a real focus on purpose and what you're doing. But unless you create, you know, in, interns that can really make coffee and make lovely food and, like, is it, there's a onus or a focus on being really good at the cafe bit as well. We don't, the way we run our training program, it's entry-level hospitality because it's in a cafe, but it's more about the employability skills. Some of our trainees won't want to work in cafes, but they will leave us and they do leave us work ready. They're turning up on time. They know how to work as a team. They know how to make choices. They know how to speak up. We teach them to speak up and have a voice if they don't agree with what we've asked them to do or, you know, we, we purposely confuse them so that they have to say, can you explain that again? All things they wouldn't have had the courage or the skills to do. So it's all things like that so that they are ready for the workplace and to be independent in the workplace. Because vulnerability is a big thing with disability, isn't it? Around, like, you know, growing up in the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, you could see people with disability being Take, you know, taken as mugs or, you know, like literally yep. um, really vulnerable position often and people would take them for a ride, yeah. pay them less, treat them badly, give them the crappy jobs, all that sort of stuff. So it's part of the training is around, you know, them being able to stand up for themselves. And- yeah, and it's the choice. What would you like to do rather than where well, you'll never work or you can just do this work in the family business or something? They've actually got a choice now. We've just recently launched our support employment service. So we now work on CVs with them. We ask them what jobs they'd like and we go through that whole um, process with them so that we identify what they actually want, what hours they'd like to work. Is it a morning? Is it evening? That sort of thing. So it's really about them, just like the rest of us would do automatically. They also don't know what they want sometimes. So we have to do a lot of work on examples of what they could do. And even that's where the films that I made all those years ago can come in. It's like, is this a sort of thing? No, then why? So it's they can make educated decisions, I suppose. And then it's about us going out to the community and contacting the local businesses and saying, this is who we've got. What spaces do you have? How can we, how can we make the job work? Like to get a good fit, whether it's job carving, they can do different bits, take a little bit off all those people that don't want to do certain jobs, create a job. There's certain things we can do. And so it's really exciting now. We're sort of introducing that as a service. So our trainees, if they're coming to us, just going back a step, they come to us as a gateway program. We're working with local schools and colleges. So they come to us for a term before they leave school they can then apply to come to us we can now help them find work so it's that whole pathway from school to employment which is really exciting and i know you've got some examples where it's been it's been a real game changer what you've done the impact you've had on them but i imagine like their relationships start to change with their parents with their siblings with their community like it's the confidence the acceptance all that stuff that the yep. young people are suddenly getting and, and, and bags, you know, like you've seen real examples? Yeah, we've got some of our trainees have started sort of chatting on like a group chat. They've been going out socializing. These guys didn't particularly socialize before. They stayed at home, didn't have any friends. They've now got friends and it's all naturally occurred. We haven't forced any of this. We didn't even know they were doing it initially, which is really good. And that's two different groups People, trainees from two different groups have found a connection, two different cohorts, which is really good. We've got one of our very first trainees was very anxious, um, wouldn't even sit with us initially when we had our orientation day, uh, wouldn't have a photo taken, was, wouldn't come from behind the counter. She has now been employed by us for probably over a year. She's food prep assistant. She assists the our cafe manager, comes up with the menu items. He breaks down, you know, we use he uses a strategy that we did. He breaks down all the steps. She's making the salads and the sandwiches and amazing. Big strides. Yeah. 
she's now talking about she'd like to leave home and be independent and she'd never thought of that before she didn't have that all right she hasn't told me sure that for she didn't think she'd have the opportunity to ever get a job because she had no self-confidence no self-belief she's now got friends she's earning money can see a future do you see yourself and and these young people like is this is this where the fires come from sarah like you're as I, you're I an, have no you're, conf- an, you're an enigma, right? So, I have no confidence, but I I will put all my effort into building someone else's. But the fire, the fire is strong, right? Like you, yeah. The fire in you on this is strong. You touched on the fact that you have you're putting yourself in all sorts of situations where you're not comfortable, far yeah. from comfortable. But the fire is still burning, it's, and you you've referred a few times in this chat around the little me. Yeah. Like, when's little me not going to be little me? When's it going to be big me? <laughs> I'll let me? you know. I and, don't know. <laughs> and is it, is it, do you see yourself partially in these, in these young people? Young I adults? don't know. I, I think just growing up, I never really had much confidence. Didn't excel at school. University wasn't an option. It was only when I kept, we moved to New Zealand in 2003. And I, I was teacher aiding in England anyway. And I, start to teach trading here, but intermediate level. Really got into the special ed side of things then. And the principal then at that point said, have you ever thought of teaching? Which didn't occur to me at all because I was just plodding away as you do. So one of those um, moments you think, actually, why couldn't I? Took myself off to uni. My 40th birthday, I was doing my degree, teaching degree, and still didn't really have much self-belief, but I Obviously, there was enough there to push me through. And yeah, so something in there is pushing me along, but I don't quite know what it is yet. But it makes me really determined to get, not for me to get where I want to be, but for the people I'm in my life or the young people to get where they want to go. That's my reason in life, I think, is to help other people get where they need to go. And do you think it is because you see partially see that in yourself? Like, you see that vulnerability? Could be. Yeah. Don't know. I don't really think of it like that. I just I yeah, I just know that I I have got something I can help them. Because it comes with sacrifices, doesn't it? So you talked about not earning. It does come with sacrifice. I again not earning, but I think the CEO thing having all this on me, I I'm learning every day. Last year I burnt out I think um, how did you know you'd burnt out I I think and I think this is sort of an important message you can include it or not I think as a woman we just push ourselves push ourselves you've got the family you've got the home this is the first yes teaching was a career but it was a sort of eight year shortish career this is my future now there's a lot riding on it trying to prove to myself to the board. Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to prove myself to the board. And then menopause hit. So it's a, I think it was a mixture of crashing and burning and menopause. So not switching off. Like li- you were on this, 20, your mind was going yeah, 24-7. Yeah. Weekends. I didn't, I didn't stop. The nine years I was planning it was actually quite relaxed because it may never happen. It was, you know, that sort of thing. From the moment... We got the cafe. I did not stop. What did you it learn was all down to me. last year that you've come back in the new year, karma, and more confident? Like, you know, the, obviously menopause, the symptoms of menopause, yep. tough, especially like New Zealand was, is not an easy place to be no, when you're going I, through that. I didn't know anything about it particularly, but what told me that that's what was going on was that I had huge anxiety attacks. During the initial talks with Air New Zealand, I had to leave a meeting. Um, but they obviously believed in us because we carried on. We were going to go live on TV. I had a panic attack, thought I was dying on the spot, things like that. And I came so close to giving up and saying, I need to resign. And that was the hardest part for me. It was like years and years of believing in this and it's all going to fail because I can't even get out the car. I still haven't driven on the motorway for just over a year the thought of having a panic attack. So I drive the long way around anywhere. What does a panic attack look like? What is it? For me, it's losing my words. 
Um, so I haven't really done any speeches. This is huge for me doing this. As you know, I've been putting it off for about a year now. Um, losing my words, opening my mouth, nothing comes out. Nothing. Just can't speak. I, the sweating, the, when we were about to go live on TV, I felt like I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. Then I, looking around for the nearest exit, but my legs wouldn't move. It absolutely horrific. And then someone said to me, it's okay, you'll only ever have one of those in your life. I had two. So then I thought, well, I might have three and four, you know. Um, Start to lose confidence. Yeah, totally. And that's when I thought, I cannot risk not being able to help these young people because of me, which is when I thought I might need to step down. How close did you come to really close because I couldn't, I stopped going out of the house. Um, if I had to go somewhere, I had a whole kit of, I mean, I still sit here with my rub, my band now. If I don't have a fiddler, I panic. I need water. I need certain things I need. Um, yeah, I've got a bag full of tricks, but just in case I need them. Did you go for professional help to help you on this? Yep. I went counselling for a while, which was really good. And she told me, the biggest thing she told me was I wasn't going to die. And I needed to know that. Medically, you cannot die. You know, um, she said, you may feel like you are, but you are not going to. Because the symptoms are really real, aren't they? Oh, totally. It doesn't matter what people say. If you can't breathe, you can't breathe. You know, if my heart feels like it's stopped, it's stopped. Um, it was either going really fast or stopping in my head. And yeah, it was horrendous. The only, or one of the main reasons I got through was the board have been incredible, absolutely incredible. And my job coach, who's now our program lead, um, Hannah stepped in and has done speeches for me. And the Air New Zealand meeting, when I had to just leave, she stepped in and just took over. It's because of the team I've got that we've carried on. I'm still not 100% there. But my goal this year is to do a bit of public speaking and a podcast. Tick. Tick, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm okay. I'm, yeah. But the, but the burn, the burning desire to help disabled young people keeps raging. Like it's, the, it's still there. It's more yeah. than ever. And I think that apart from the menopause, because that's, you know, that's what it is. That's another um, fire. It's another fire. That's another part, another story. <laughs> um, it's the the burnout came possibly because of it, possibly at the same time. I was doing everything and I was sitting recently looking up, writing down my job description just for myself or my tasks and it's just ridiculous. So I think that's another goal of mine this year is to be realistic about what I can do. Stop saying yes. I did start saying no last year, which was quite new for me. I didn't like saying no, but I did cancel meetings. And Is that because you're a natural pleaser? Partly. And I think, who else is going to do it if I don't? I can't risk that meeting being the one that gets us funding. And I, I say no, or knowing, knowing the networky thing, what if that person knows that person? And I need, to, yeah. A lot of, lot of pressure, put a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah. For the young people. Yeah. And yet, here's this charity which has gone from zero <laughs> to, to start up, yeah. to establishment. Um, still early days, but you know, a year and a half. You've got two of them, yeah. Right? You've got this partnership with a global, you know, huge global company <laughs> yeah. that is aligned on the purpose, which is which I think is amazing. So, yeah, don't be so harsh on yourself, Sarah. <laughs> okay, I'll try. <laughs> you've you described very well what you need to do for yourself and the organization needs that leader, needs you to be awesome. What's the hope for Project Employ in the next couple of years? Like, I think I would like to think that some other corporates see what we're doing at Air New Zealand and do something similar, hopefully with us, which would be quite cool. But if not, other groups, other charities. I think just going back a bit when we were first, because we, we're not government funded at all at the moment, talking to the government trying to get funding and they said well what's you know what's the purpose do you need this as a similar one out west well there is a similar one out west but they're not for young people and they employ them it's different different model 
our young people tell our trainees tell us they want to work in the community they don't want to work with disabled people they've actually said that and why shouldn't they have that choice of you know working in the mainstream so the government couldn't even really see why we need more than one training cafe in the whole of New Zealand so I think for me what I want to see is that mindset being changed that these young people want to have the choices that we all have I would like us to have training cafes across New Zealand. We have people, families contacting us most weeks asking to enroll, which we can't all the time. We have families that want to move up here. We had one that was willing to move up and live in a camper van for six months so their child could enroll. Training cafes need to be all over the country. In the UK, this is another goal of mine, in the UK there's a training cafe map So if you're going on holiday, you can look on the map and see where the nearest disability training cafe is. That would be amazing to have here. Yeah, great vision. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to manage the fact that a lot of it's down to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Minor detail. It's okay. I've got and your patches. wonderful board. <laughs> and the board. No, it's a huge team. And the team that we employ are amazing. The job coaches and the cafe manager, we couldn't do it without them either. A big thing is going to be managing, like staying focused, right? So they talk about mission creep and and not getting knocked off your vision because you got very clear yep. uh, vision and you got very clear un understanding who you are and what you're gonna, how you're going to achieve it. Managing those growth stages, the need for capital. Have you you know you've talked about listening to, to podcasts and other people's stories? Are you actively have you sought a mentor, like you know, sort of people to help you on this journey? If there's anyone that would like to mentor me listening to my story, that would be amazing. I've I've got people around me. The board chair is incredibly supportive. Listening to your podcast, I have learned so, so much. And I've contacted some of those people over the last couple of years as well, just to check in. Yeah, I, I think I need to be mentored on quite a few areas. I think that's that's the thing. But I'm not afraid to ask for help. And I, I just want to learn and learn so that this can get bigger, but we also don't get so big that we lose the point and or the purpose is for those individuals to have individualized training at no cost to them, because that's another barrier we don't want to put up. Um, and for them to for them to choose what career they go into. So we need the funding, we need the buy-in from the community for them the businesses. So that's I think that's our next big challenge as a board is to get this support employment up and running, build those networks so that we have got jobs for these trainees that have proven that they're work ready. Sarah Dunhall, massive thank you for joining me on Purposely Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.